This is News Talks on the Record with me, Sean Defoe, sitting in for Gavin today. Now, could you name the Indian Nobel Prize winner with a monument in Ireland? Hidden in plain sight, perhaps a monument to the brilliant Rabindrath Tagore sits in St. Stephen's Green in Dublin, not far from one honouring W.B. Yeats, on whom he was a pretty formulative influence. With this weekend marking the centenary of the Amritsar massacre, which had a profound impact on the Indian poet, it seems right to honour the Bard of Bengali, perhaps the most famous poet that you've never heard of. So for another edition of Hidden Histories, we're joined by Donal Fallon. Good, good afternoon, Donal. Good to be here, good to be here. So India, unlike, we've quite a similar history, I suppose, when you look back to 100 years ago, but unlike Ireland, there kind of isn't that sense of closure that we've come to have in the last Absolutely, years. Absolutely, yeah. And, you know, the, I hope the Indian people are not holding out for an apology because they've been waiting long enough for one for the Amritsar massacre. They've made it to the centenary without it. Uh, which is quite staggering. And, and Jeremy Corbyn in the House of Commons made the point during the week that they're, they're certainly overdue one. And I think we in Ireland have lived through kind of extraordinary moments of apology. And apology mm. is very, very important in, in the healing process. You know, we had Tony Blair uh, in 1997 as Prime Minister. He talked about the, the great hurt of, the, of the, the great hunger. And that was pretty unprecedented, you know, for a British Prime Minister to, to acknowledge a wrong like that. I think what Blair did there paved the way for the peace process, the Good Friday Agreement the following year. It, it built a lot of bridges. And he came forward and he said, look, those who governed in London at the time failed their people uh, through standing by while a crop failure turned into a massive human tragedy. And likewise, we've, we've lived to see another British Prime Minister, David Cameron, uh, acknowledge the injustices of, of Bloody Sunday. And apologies have been a two-way street. Likewise, you know, we've, we've, we've had it from people like Adams and, and, and McGuinness. Mm. So in the comments of prominent uh, Republican political leaders and outrageous during the conflict in the North as well. But India, not not quite so much. Mm. But there has been kind of a, a sorry, not sorry almost from the Queen. Like, yeah, acknowledge a, the hurt, if not the blame. A very British apology. You know, and, <laughs> and this weekend is deeply, deeply important uh, for, for Indian people. The centenary of this of this massacre. And I mean, to put it in context, essentially what occurs is that protesters are walled in on all sides in a public square uh, and about a thousand lives are lost in a massacre. Uh, it's a peaceful demonstration condemning the arrests of Indian nationalist leaders and the British forces open fire on it. And in 1997, Queen Elizabeth is, is in India and she says publicly, history cannot be rewritten. However much we might sometimes wish otherwise, it has its moments of sadness as well as gladness. We must learn from the sadness and build on the gladness, whatever that means. So that was very, very far removed from what we in India or what we in Ireland have come to know as kind of real gestures uh, of, of, of reconciliation. So I understand, you know, for people in India, this still hurts, I think, for the reason they think it's never been properly acknowledged. But one person who really didn't mince their words when it came to what happened at, at, at Amritsar is Tagore, this, the Bard of Bengali, the first non-European to win the Nobel Prize for Literature, uh, which he did in 1913. And this man, I mean, the name may not be widely known in Ireland, but his influence over this country is astonishing. You know, from Patrick Henry Pierce to William Butler Yeats, Tagore influenced them all. And he's someone that renounces a knighthood that he'd been rewarded in the aftermath of that massacre, saying beautifully that mass murderers aren't worthy of giving any title to anyone. And that he has a monument in Dublin, I think, is a surprise to most people. Mm. Even people that walk... A friend of mine said, I jog by that thing every day and I've never noticed it. Yeah. <laughs> it's Stephen's Green. Sometimes monuments can just fade into their environment. But I hope this little slot rescues Stagore from obscurity in Ireland anyway. And anyone walking through Stephen's Green might look out for him today as, as they do so. Uh, we tend to think of 100 years ago, I suppose, in a bit of isolation. We're kind of selfish. We think of our own thing. But they weren't at the time acting in isolation. No, they were kind of mingling. There's been a lovely... kind of in, in recent years, there's been a real push in history towards a more global 
understanding of the Irish Revolution. And people now look at what happened in this country in its global context. And it's America, it's, it's India, it's Egypt, you know, it's the Russian Revolution. All of these things impact directly on what's happening uh, in Ireland and how people in Ireland think about the world. And there's a real consciousness of India, I think, more than any other nation in nationalist Ireland. You know, if you read a nationalist newspaper in Dublin in 1914, 15, 16, there's massive space given over to the Indian cause. Indian and Irish speakers often share platforms together. And the kind of small Indian community that you had in Dublin, V.V. Geary, who's a, a student in University College Dublin, later becomes the president of India. You know, he's mingling in the midst of our own revolutionary generation. One of his teachers uh, is Thomas McDonough, who's shot in 1916. So there's this massive crossover between Irish nationalism uh, and Indian nationalism in the early 20th century. But at the same time, the point that was made in the Irish Times yesterday is true. Our hands aren't entirely clean. You know, there were certain Irishmen that were deeply entangled in colonial rule uh, in India. And in fact, the man who ultimately bears the responsibility for the Amritsar massacre, unfortunately for us, his surname was Dwyer. And the nice. surname Dwyer can induce real anger in India. It's a little bit like Trevelyan uh, in Ireland. But, you know, in nationalist circles anyway, India was a very clear-cut issue of colonialism and support for India uh, in Ireland was very, very real. Then enter Tagore, something of a, a multi-talented uh, individual. To, to say the least, I mean, this man, the Bard of Bengali, his, his, his cultural and creative and political output is just unrivaled. He's born in Calcutta, 1861, and his contribution spans many, many fields. A published poet by the age of 16. The National Anthem of India, which is very, very striking as an anthem, is actually a Hindi version of a song that he originally composed himself. And he makes his name politically, I suppose, as a, as a critic uh, of imperialism and a real advocate for educational reform. And both of those things would have been, you know, part of, why, of the story of why he's so influential uh, in this country. So he writes an awful lot about the educational system, which he thinks is just fundamentally broken. And he thinks that education should be about more than just forcing children to learn things. You know, there should be a, a, a portal of discovery, cultural uh, engagement. And he writes this beautiful work called The Parrot's Training. It's a great metaphor. It reminds me of the Leaving Cert, actually. A bird is caged and force-fed textbook pages to death. <laughs> and that resonates in Ireland uh, with Patrick Henry Pierce, because Patrick Pierce is writing his own pamphlet, The Murder Machine, in which he's arguing for real educational uh, reform. So, you know, Pierce finds something in this Indian poet, Tagore, and as far as Pierce is concerned, he says the educational system is designed or is willing to produce, willing or at least manageable slaves, and that has to go. And that probably was one of his greatest influences here as well, wasn't it, over Pierce, and who shared a lot of his views in the school system and then passed them on to Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Tagore had a brilliant play called The Post Office. What a title, actually, given the, the course of Pierce's life and how it ended up. But Tagore had a play called The Post Office. Uh, and in 1913, it's performed in the Abbey Theatre in a fundraiser for Saint Pierce, uh, for, for Patrick Pierce's school, St. Enders. And it was a kind of meeting of these two great uh, kindred spirits. And when you look at pictures from Patrick Pierce's school, and you can actually go out there to Raffarnham and visit the school today. It's a really powerful tour. But when you go out there and you look at the pictures on the walls, you see young men performing in theatrical productions, playing GAA, you know, exploring the grounds of the school, learning about wildlife. And often Pierce is presented as, as a kind of Puritan nationalist with this very narrow view of the world, mm. very old-fashioned nationalist. But when you go out there and look around the school, you look at the bookshelves, I mean, the kids were reading things like the Quran. They were reading the work of Tagore. Pierce was trying to bring the world, if you will, uh, into the lives of, of, of these Irish children. And the respect was very mutual because in 1915, one of Pierce's plays, which was called The King, 
originally written uh, as, as Gwelga, is performed in India in a school that's run by Tagore. So there's this great crossover uh, of minds. And, you know, the Abbey Theatre performance in Dublin was a, was a great success. It brought much-needed funds to Pierce's school. I mean, he really struggled to finance that school. One contemporary said he was a dreamer, but he never had the money to bring his dreams to fruition. But Pierce kind of saw something uh, in Tagore that he, that he liked. It's kind of remarkable because even if you've gone 50 years later, the idea of the, the Quran being read in a school is strange. It's probably only changing around yes, now. Yes, but absolutely, absolutely. Plenty of other people that he had an influence on. Yeats even moved to tears. Tagore and well. Pierce never met, uh, but he did meet Yeats in 1912. And Yeats is this great spiritual character. You know, Yeats spends a lot of his adult life on this journey for spiritual meaning, helped along by plenty of opium on this journey. But you know, Yeats, <laughs> Yeats always helps. Yeats this. always looks to the, to the East in his, in, a, in his search for truth. And he's a real interest in matters spiritual, as, as does Tagore. So he agrees to write the introduction to a kind of translated collection of Tagore's poems. And God, it's a beautiful introduction. I mean, I've never read one as good in any other book. He says, I've carried the manuscript of these translations around with me for days, reading it in railway stations or on the top of omnibuses or in restaurants. And I've often had to close it, lest some stranger would see how, how much it moved me. These lyrics display in their thought a world they have dreamed of all my life long, a tradition where poetry and religion are the same thing. That is as good a review as you are ever going to get and only Yates could give it. Mm, a far cry from what some people will be reading on the buses going around a Dublin far now. far cry from any Amazon review. <laughs> exactly. He died in the 1940s and we might not remember him now but at that stage then a fairly well established great. Absolutely. By 1941 he was one of the leading poets uh, in the world and uh, Yates of course won the Nobel Prize for Literature as well and Tagore's Nobel Prize biography just nails it. It says for the world he became the voice of India's spiritual heritage and for India especially for Bengal, he became a great living institution. And the motivation for giving him the Nobel Prize was that because of his profoundly sensitive, fresh and beautiful verse, by which with consummate skill, he's made his poetic thought a part of the literature uh, of the West. So Tagore really had had embedded himself in a literary tradition, both in India uh, and internationally by the time of his death. And Indian Ireland, of course, kept quite close relations even up to now. You see the the Taoiseach, the son of an Indian immigrant. But Dev has a street named after him. Post-independence, we maintain this great interest in India and, and vice versa. And actually, the British State Intelligence Archives in Kew in London, they're very curious, the British, about just how much of an interest Ireland is taking uh, in India mm. and sometimes vice versa. And de Valera in, in the 1940s, he goes on this great global uh, anti-partition tour. He goes to America, he goes to Australia, he goes to New Zealand and he kind of whips the Irish diaspora into a frenzy and he raises huge sums of money for Fianna Fáil. And then he goes to India. And to him, I mean, this is a place with no Irish diaspora whatsoever, but it was a natural audience and a a, a dear cause. And when he gets there, Dev, he goes on Indian radio and he gives this very profound speech. He says that for more than 30 years, many of us in Ireland have followed with deepest sympathy the fortunes of the people of India in their efforts to secure freedom. We regard the people of India as co-workers and allies in a common cause and we rejoiced exceedingly when India's right to independence was fully acknowledged. So de Valera takes on this very important place in, in Indian uh, political nationalism to such an extent that I was amazed when I heard this. In 2007, they actually unveiled Eamon de Valera Road uh, in New Delhi, which is up there for me with Bobby Sands Street in Tehran as a global Irish street, Irish street I'd no clue about. And, you know, a cynic made joke that some veteran Irish politicians like de Valera might be more popular in India uh, than they are in Ireland. But if anyone listening is, is on Newstalk.com and not listening to the radio and you're in New Delhi, I would love a picture of the street sign of Eamon de Valera Road in New Delhi if possible. Yeah, absolutely. Get in touch with us if you have that. That would be outstanding. Uh, 
won't say what I think it might might look like, what I fear. Uh, but that those kind of honourings that, that then inspired the Irish to try and honour Tagore in, in their own. As I well. think they might have. I think it was that gesture that the imperative was there on our end, you know, to honour the ties. Uh, that bind us. And this great statue of, of, of Tagore was unveiled in October 2011, the 150th anniversary uh, of the poet's birth. And I suppose it's a reminder of someone who may have faded from popular memory here, but who is still one of the most read and cherished poets uh, in the world. And we do have a vibrant uh, Indian community uh, in this country, and I know that monument means an awful lot to them. And no better time to remember him, I think, than the weekend that's in it, with all that this means uh, for Indian people. And for me, you know, I, I think that the quotation that I love from Tagore, I think it resonated with Yeats as well. He said, the butterfly counts not months, but moments and has time enough. Wow. We must count months and moments in the next few months with Brexit and with everything else. It still rings true with the Bard of Bengali's words. Uh, OK, great stuff. Donald Fallon, author of the Come Here To Me blog and book volume two. Thanks a million for joining us this week.